Section four of Confessions of an English Opium Eater. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Confessions of an English Opium Eater by Thomas de Quincey. Section four. Soon after this, I contrived by means which I must omit for want of room, to transfer myself to London. And now began the latter and fiercer stage of my long sufferings. Without using a disproportionate expression, I might say of my agony, for I now suffered for upwards of sixteen weeks the physical anguish of hunger in various degrees of intensity but as bitter perhaps as ever any human being can have suffered who has survived it i would not needlessly harass my readers feelings by a detail of all that i endured for extremities such as these under any circumstances of heaviest misconduct or guilt cannot be contemplated even in description without a rueful pity that is painful to the natural goodness of the human heart let it suffice at least on this occasion to say that a few fragments of bread from the breakfast-table of one individual who supposed me to be ill but did not know of my being in utter want and these at uncertain intervals constituted my whole support during the former part of my sufferings that is generally in wales and always for the first two months in london i was houseless and very seldom slept under a roof to this constant exposure to the open air i ascribe it mainly that i did not sink under my torments latterly however when colder and more inclement weather came on and when from the length of my sufferings i had begun to sink into a more languishing condition it was no doubt fortunate for me that the same person to whose breakfast-table i had access allowed me to sleep in a large unoccupied house of which he was tenant unoccupied i call it for there was no household or establishment in it nor any furniture indeed except a table and a few chairs but i found on taking possession of my new quarters that the house already contained one single inmate a poor friendless child apparently ten years old but she seemed hunger-bitten and sufferings of that sort often make children look older than they are from this forlorn child i learned that she had slept and lived there alone for some time before i came and great joy the poor creature expressed when she found that i was in future to be her companion through the hours of darkness the house was large and from the want of furniture the noise of the rats made a prodigious echoing on the spacious staircase and hall and amidst the real fleshly ills of cold and i fear hunger 
the forsaken child had found leisure to suffer still more it appeared from the self-created one of ghosts i promised her protection from all ghosts whatsoever but alas i could offer her no other assistance we lay upon the floor with a bundle of cursed law papers for a pillow but with no other covering than a sort of large horseman's cloak afterwards however i discovered in a garret an old sofa cover a small piece of rug and some fragments of other articles which added a little to our warmth the poor child crept close to me for warmth and for security against her ghostly enemies when i was not more than usually ill i took her into my arms so that in general she was tolerably warm and often slept when i could not for during the last two months of my sufferings i slept much in daytime and was apt to fall into transient dozings at all hours but my sleep distressed me more than my watching for beside the tumultuousness of my dreams which were only not so awful as those which i shall have to describe hereafter as produced by opium my sleep was never more than what is called dog sleep so that i could hear myself moaning and was often as it seemed to me awakened suddenly by my own voice and about this time a hideous sensation began to haunt me as soon as i fell into a slumber which has since returned upon me at different periods of my life viz a sort of twitching i know not where but apparently about the region of the stomach which compelled me violently to throw out my feet for the sake of relieving it this sensation coming on as soon as i began to sleep and the effort to relieve it constantly awaking me at length i slept only from exhaustion and from increasing weakness as i said before i was constantly falling asleep and constantly awaking meantime the master of the house sometimes came in upon us suddenly and very early sometimes not till ten o'clock sometimes not at all he was in constant fear of bailiffs improving on the plan of cromwell every night he slept in a different quarter of london and i observed that he never failed to examine through a private window the appearance of those who knocked at the door before he would allow it to be opened he breakfasted alone indeed his tea equipage would hardly have admitted of his hazarding an invitation to a second person any more than the quantity of esculent materiel which for the most part was little more than a roll or a few biscuits which he had bought on his road from the place where he had slept or if he had asked a party as i once learnedly and facetiously observed to him the several members of it must have stood in the relation to each other not sate in any relation whatever of succession as the metaphysicians have it and not of a coexistence in the relation of the parts of time 
and not of the parts of space. During his breakfast I generally contrived a reason for lounging in, and with an air of as much indifference as I could assume, took up such fragments as he had left. Sometimes, indeed, there were none at all. In doing this I committed no robbery except upon the man himself, who was thus obliged, I believe, now and then to set out at noon for an extra biscuit. For as to the poor child, she was never admitted into his study, if I may give that name to his chief depository of parchments, law-writings, etc. That room was to her the blue-beard room of the house, being regularly locked on his departure to dinner about six o'clock, which usually was his final departure for the night. Whether this child were an illegitimate daughter of Mr. or only a servant, I could not ascertain. She did not herself know, but certainly she was treated altogether as a menial servant. No sooner did Mr. make his appearance than she went below stairs, brushed his shoes, coat, etc., and except when she was summoned to run an errand, she never emerged from the dismal tartarus of the kitchen, etc., to the upper air, until my welcome knock at night called up her little trembling footsteps to the front door. Of her life during the daytime, however, I knew little but what I gathered from her own account at night, for as soon as the hours of business commenced I saw that my absence would be acceptable, and in general, therefore, I went off and sat in the parks or elsewhere until nightfall. But who and what, meantime, was the master of the house himself? Reader, he was one of those anomalous practitioners in lower departments of the law, who, what shall I say, who on prudential reasons or from necessity, deny themselves all indulgence in the luxury of too delicate a conscience, a periphrasis which might be abridged considerably, but that I leave to the reader's taste. In many walks of life a conscience is a more expensive encumbrance than a wife or a carriage, and just as people talk of laying down their carriages, so I suppose my friend Mr. had laid down his conscience for a time, meaning doubtless to resume it as soon as he could afford it. The inner economy of such a man's daily life would present a most strange picture, if I could allow myself to amuse the reader at his expense. Even with my limited opportunities for observing what went on, I saw many scenes of London intrigues and complex chicanery, cycle and epicycle, orb in orb, at which I sometimes smile to this day, and at which I smiled then, in spite of my misery. My situation, however, at that time, gave me little experience in my own person of any qualities in Mr. Hmm's character, but such as did him honour, 
and of his whole strange composition i must forget everything but that towards me he was obliging and to the extent of his power generous that power was not indeed very extensive however in common with the rats i sate rent free and as dr johnson has recorded that he never but once in his life had as much wall fruit as he could eat so let me be grateful that on that single occasion i had as large a choice of apartments in a london mansion as i could possibly desire except the bluebeard room which the poor child believed to be haunted all others from the attics to the cellars were at our service the world was all before us, and we pitched our tent for the night in any spot we chose. This house I have already described as a large one. It stands in a conspicuous situation, and in a well-known part of London. Many of my readers will have passed it, I doubt not, within a few hours of reading this for myself i never fail to visit it when business draws me to london about ten o'clock this very night august fifteenth eighteen hundred and twenty one being my birthday i turned aside from my evening walk down oxford street purposely to take a glance at it it is now occupied by a respectable family and by the lights in the front drawing-room I observed a domestic party assembled, perhaps at tea, and apparently cheerful and gay. Marvellous contrast in my eyes to the darkness, cold, silence, and desolation of that same house eighteen years ago, when its nightly occupants were one famishing scholar and a neglected child her by the by in after years i vainly endeavoured to trace apart from her situation she was not what would be called an interesting child she was neither pretty nor quick in understanding nor remarkably pleasing in manners but thank god even in those years i needed not the embellishments of novel accessories to conciliate my affections plain human nature in its humblest and most homely apparel was enough for me and i loved the child because she was my partner in wretchedness if she is now living she is probably a mother with children of her own but as i have said i could never trace her this i regret but another person there was at that time whom i have since sought to trace with far deeper earnestness and with far deeper sorrow at my failure this person was a young woman and one of that unhappy class who subsist on the wages of prostitution i feel no shame nor have any reason to feel it in avowing that i was then on familiar and friendly terms with many women in that unfortunate condition the reader needs neither smile at this avowal nor frown 
for not to remind my classical readers of the old latin proverb sine cerere et cetera it may well be supposed that in the existing state of my purse my connection with such women could not have been an impure one but the truth is that at no time of my life have i been a person to hold myself polluted by the touch or approach of any creature that wore a human shape on the contrary from my very earliest youth it has been my pride to converse familiarly more socratico readers translation in the manner of socrates with all human beings man woman and child that chance might fling in my way a practice which is friendly to the knowledge of human nature to good feelings and to that frankness of address which becomes a man who would be thought a philosopher for a philosopher should not see with the eyes of the poor limitary creature calling himself a man of the world and filled with narrow and self-regarding prejudices of birth and education but should look upon himself as a catholic creature and as standing in equal relation to high and low to educated and uneducated to the guilty and the innocent being myself at that time of necessity a peripatetic or a walker of the streets i naturally fell in more frequently with those female peripatetics who are technically called street-walkers many of these women had occasionally taken my part against watchmen who wished to drive me off the steps of houses where i was sitting but one amongst them the one on whose account i have at all introduced this subject yet no let me not class the oh noble-minded anne with that order of women let me find if it be possible some gentler name to designate the condition of her to whose bounty and compassion ministering to my necessities when all the world had forsaken me i owe it that i am at this time alive for many weeks i had walked at nights with this poor friendless girl up and down oxford street or had rested with her on steps and under the shelter of porticoes she could not be so old as myself she told me indeed that she had not completed her sixteenth year by such questions as my interest about her prompted i had gradually drawn forth her simple history hers was a case of ordinary occurrence as i have since had reason to think and one in which if london beneficence had better adapted its arrangements to meet it the power of the law might oftener be interposed to protect and to avenge but the stream of london charity flows in a channel which though deep and mighty is yet noiseless and underground not obvious or readily accessible to poor houseless wanderers 
and it cannot be denied that the outside air and framework of london society is harsh cruel and repulsive in any case however i saw that part of her injuries might easily have been redressed and i urged her often and earnestly to lay her complaint before a magistrate friendless as she was i assured her that she would meet with immediate attention and that english justice which was no respecter of persons would speedily and amply avenge her on the brutal ruffian who had plundered her little property she promised me often that she would but she delayed taking the steps i pointed out from time to time for she was timid and dejected to a degree which showed how deeply sorrow had taken hold of her young heart and perhaps she thought justly that the most upright judge and the most righteous tribunals could do nothing to repair her heaviest wrongs something however would perhaps have been done for it had been settled between us at length but unhappily on the very last time but one that i was ever to see her that in a day or two we should go together before a magistrate and that i should speak on her behalf this little service it was destined however that i should never realize meantime that which she rendered to me and which was greater than i could ever have repaid her was this one night when we were pacing slowly along oxford street and after a day when i had felt more than usually ill and faint i requested her to turn off with me into soho square thither we went and we sat down on the steps of a house which to this hour i never pass without a pang of grief and an inner act of homage to the spirit of that unhappy girl in memory of the noble action which she there performed suddenly as we sate i grew much worse i had been leaning my head against her bosom and all at once i sank from her arms and fell backwards on the steps from the sensations i then had i felt an inner conviction of the liveliest kind that without some powerful and reviving stimulus i should either have died on the spot or should at least have sunk to a point of exhaustion from which all reascent under my friendless circumstances would soon have become hopeless then it was at this crisis of my fate that my poor orphan companion who had herself met with little but injuries in this world stretched out a saving hand to me uttering a cry of terror but without a moment's delay she ran off into oxford street and in less time than could be imagined returned to me with a glass of port wine and spices that acted upon my empty stomach which at that time would have rejected all solid food with an instantaneous power of restoration 
and for this glass the generous girl without a murmur paid out of her humble purse at a time be it remembered when she had scarcely wherewithal to purchase the bare necessaries of life and when she could have no reason to expect that i should ever be able to reimburse her o oh, youthful benefactress how often in succeeding years standing in solitary places and thinking of thee with grief of heart and perfect love how often have i wished that as in ancient times the curse of a father was believed to have a supernatural power and to pursue its object with a fatal necessity of self-fulfilment even so the benediction of a heart oppressed with gratitude might have a like prerogative might have power given to it from above to chase to haunt to waylay to overtake to pursue thee into the central darkness of a london brothel or if it were possible into the darkness of the grave there to awaken thee with an authentic message of peace and forgiveness and of final reconciliation i do not often weep for not only do my thoughts on subjects connected with the chief interests of man daily nay hourly descend a thousand fathoms too deep for tears not only does the sternness of my habits of thought present an antagonism to the feelings which prompt tears wanting of necessity to those who being protected usually by their levity from any tendency to meditative sorrow would by that same levity be made incapable of resisting it on any casual access of such feelings but also i believe that all minds which have contemplated such objects as deeply as i have done must for their own protection from utter despondency have early encouraged and cherished some tranquillizing belief as to the future balances and the hieroglyphic meanings of human sufferings on these accounts i am cheerful to this hour and as i have said i do not often weep yet some feelings though not deeper or more passionate are more tender than others and often when i walk at this time in oxford street by dreamy lamplight and hear those airs played on a barrel-organ which years ago solaced me and my dear companion as i must always call her i shed tears and muse with myself at the mysterious dispensation which so suddenly and so critically separated us for ever how it happened the reader will understand from what remains of this introductory narration end of section 4 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey